Here's the fact, Jack. I charge $950 an hour. Ted is 400. If you have a stupid question, you call Ted. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Run Podcast. I'm Ryan from ColdSmitation.com and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? And we are back. Uh, we said at the beginning of the year that we were going to do uh, a different movie and not a horror movie for this episode. Uh, we've been doing you know, quite a few horror movies and Christmas movies and stuff like that. So we're ch- changing it up a little bit and we're going to go back to, I guess, our like high school roots when we watched The Squid and the Whale by Noah Baumbach. And... Uh, we decided that, you know what? We really like that movie. So why not revisit uh, a movie, or not revisit actually, but visit, re- well, I'll say revisit Noah Baumbach with his new movie that was released on Netflix called Marriage Story. He's been busy the past couple of years. He's been doing quite a few different things. Um, he had that one show that was on Netflix too. I don't know the name of it. I haven't really followed it, but there was a show that he did. He did um, the Meyerowitz stories, Green Yeah, Bar. right, exactly. The Meyerowitz, yeah. Is that, that a story? Is that a movie? No, or? it's a movie. Yeah, it's a movie. Not a, oh, it's a movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I know that, you know, he has been pretty busy, and we haven't really followed, I haven't really followed much of his stuff um, since he did Squid and the Whale. Um, well, I think there's a pretty big, there was a, a lull yeah. in between, like, Life Aquatic, you know, co-writing that with uh, Wes Anderson mm-hmm. and Squid and the Whale, and I think he just kind of... Did other projects or something? Nothing really. Because I remember, I think like the next film after that was for him was like Greenberg, and that's like nine years later. Yeah, I did see that one as well. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen that one, um, so I don't really remember too much about it. I liked it. Um, I'm sure it's similar. Mm, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of his he has a lot of the same themes and a lot and many of his movies. Um, but yeah. I, I I really like a lot of things that Noah Baumbach does, and this is really not outside of our wheelhouse, though it might seem like it at first. We're named Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We have weird, uh, like, Twilight Zone-esque music at the beginning of our show. <laughs> we mostly do horror movies, but we have done some Wes Anderson movies before. Um, we did uh, Life Aquatic. We did... Grand Budapest. Yep, Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, That's it. We didn't do... Uh, no, we didn't do um, uh, the other one that he... D- didn't we? Did we do the other one, the um, Moonrise Kingdom? Did we do that one? No, no, we did not. Okay, we had, I, mean, I couldn't that remember. That was way before I've the seen, podcast. I, I we saw it, so it must be I'm remembering it as I saw it, but that was pre-podcast. I, we didn't do yeah. it, uh, but we definitely did the Grand Budapest Hotel. We did the Life Aquatic. Um, so it's not outside of our wheelhouse so much. We do enjoy Wes Anderson movies and you know the the quirkies, as I like to call them, the quirkies. <laughs> And uh, also, we like the dramatic as well. We like to, we fancy ourselves here as real movie critics, right? We, we are, you know, upper echelon critics. So obviously, <laughs> Marriage Story being uh, an Academy Award nominated film, we should do it. Because. Let's just go down the whole list. <laughs> the whole list of, yeah, of Academy Award. Or word. I, well, I've seen a couple of them. I haven't seen a lot, but uh, we could. We, we also plan to do Joker at some point. We had said that we were going to do it, and then we never really got a chance to do it. Um, 
So that's another one that we do plan on doing at some point. Uh, Marriage Story is, um, I would say, a work from Noah Baumbach that is uh, somewhat, it's almost autobiographical in a sense. You know, it it, uh, is rumored that it follows his uh, divorce pretty um, significantly, uh, which is not really different from other writings that Noah Baumbach has done before. Squid and the Whale um, was mirroring his parents' divorce. Uh, if Jeff Daniels was his father, he lived a he lived a good life. And actually, <laughs> it's kind of um, there's a lot of uh, polarity between the Squid and the Whale and Marriage Story. They're they're fairly different films, um, but at the same time, there's a lot of overlap in them too. And some of that is purposeful, like you know, obviously drawing attention to that film. And then some of it is sort of just within the themes themselves. We can compare it to like a Venn diagram. Yeah, exactly. Because I think, you know, Marriage Story, we see quite a bit of Noah Baumbach stepping outside of the, what we consider the quirkiness of Squid and the Whale. Squid and the Whale has a lot more uh, intentional humor involved in it. Um, That's sort of, I guess I would say, wry. Um, it's, it's in there. And a part of that's from, um, Jeff Daniels as well. His character specifically is like your comic, uh, entry into that Mm -hmm. film. Um, whereas marriage story is more of a, a true, almost realistic depiction of what it's like to be in a divorce, in a separation, uh, trying to paint that picture as, realistic as possible the highs the lows the uh the sort of you know what is involved in every facet of that separation and and everything in between as well so the good stuff that happened in the marriage the bad stuff that happens afterwards uh, it's all sort of there and i guess that we're seeing like two different sides of bomb box writing with the, both of those movies but they would be a very good double feature to have you know you see squid and the whale um you know, an early Bombuck picture, and then you see where he's evolved to with Marriage Story, and also the similarities between them. Fifteen year gap between the two. Yeah, so there's evolution there. There's a uh, change ups and which you know hurts the soul when I think of that. You know, like how long it's been. Yeah, since it's been the will. You know, yeah, 14, um, fifteen years. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But Marriage Story is um, you know, it's getting a lot of acclaim. Uh, it's it's one of the, the again I, like I said it's a film that's nominated for uh, best picture. No, Obama did not get nominated for best director, um, but it's still there. It's an Academy Award nomination, and um, it's interesting because it is one of he'll those movies. Say he'll get to slap that on his you know every film from here. Yeah, on Academy now. Award nominated, Academy nominated. You know. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it is interesting um, because it's a Netflix movie. It's a Netflix original. That's sort of like uh, has in the past been automatic disqualification for you know it's oh it's an it's a Netflix original. So you know it's not it's not real film. It's I think not now I think now with the amount of talent that Netflix is getting for those you know films, mm-hmm. you, you you know you could ignore it. Yeah, you like can't. if the, I, like with I haven't seen I still haven't seen Scorsese's The Irishman. No, but if you were to tell me. That a Scorsese film wasn't getting nominated for like best director, or best picture because well, it's on Netflix, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a snub, and I think like that's there's well, part of the problem is that there are so many Netflix originals that 
like sometimes they're hesitant to say like, well, it's real cinema for the Academy Awards. But when it comes to stuff like The Irishman, which I haven't seen, but I assume is really good, and Marriage Story, which we did see and I liked it a lot, um, you can't just write it off because it's a Netflix original. It just doesn't make sense anymore. So it is good to see that they're kind of overcoming that stigma of like being labeled a Netflix original. It doesn't really matter. Well, especially now, too, if you have, you know, Hulu originals and Amazon originals, you know. It's almost like um, the direct-to-video of the 90s, where it was like, direct-to-video, that movie fucking sucks. (laughs) Shelve it. I think at this point, the track record, you know, for, I mean, yeah, there is a lot lot of, like, crappy, you know, like Hulu, Amazon. The open house. (laughs) Being one of them that I can think of on Netflix. But, I mean, at this point. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good on there. So it's it's much like theatrical releases now. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of bad. And you, you know, you sort through the filler. And I think, too, Netflix and, uh, you know, all these, you know, stream sources, they're, you know, they're hard. It's going to be hard to compete with. Mm -hmm. You get to stay at home. Yeah. Plus, <laughs> yeah, that that's a plus. You know, you don't, you don't have, have to deal go, with people being annoying. In the, you know, going theater. out and you know making an effort. Yeah. You know, um, make your own popcorn. Popcorn costs a dollar. Yeah, <laughs> um, coffee's available. <laughs> I'm like an art theater. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot more ability to be creative in like the material. Yep, and be more, you know, kind of more risky. Auteur, yeah, auteur directed. Yeah. Um, compared to a lot of the big studio projects, because they're not green lighting anything, you know, risky. What are we getting? We're getting the fucking Marvel films and DC films till the end of time. Mm-hmm. Um, with Netflix, I don't think for the most part, Netflix. Um, I don't think they fund most of the projects. Maybe a couple of them they do, but I think they're all outside funded, and they just like, yeah, you get to use our platform as a means to you know yeah, get it sure. out there i'm not sure how they're produced I, yeah i'm pretty sure most of them don't even you know you, they just netflix green lights it like okay yeah then you have to come up with own, your own funding mm-hmm. and production company for it and if that's the case you know it's a lot you know it's going to be a lot easier for them to have a lot better content than what's getting put out in movie theaters mm-hmm. yeah that's when you know why do you think now we're seeing like 28 years later, we're getting a sequel, a true sequel to mm. Ghostbusters. That's true. Yeah. Um, did you did you want to do a beer talk on this show? Or did you want to just skip and do the do the we film do, proper? Well, we can do the beer talk. Okay, what did you want to which one did you want to do? Cuz we've had a few lately. I'll I'll just say we're, we'll take a break for a second and we'll get into Marriage Story as a film. Um Instead of the Oscar talk that we've been doing, which I don't even really care that much about Academy Awards. No, really doesn't mean much to me, but uh, <laughs> it is important in the context of marriage stories. So thought we'd touch on it um, for the beer talk. I guess we can, I'll, I'll start. Um, I For Christmas, I bought you a special beer. I bought you the Amagang's um, Bourbon Barrel Adoration from 2019. It's 2019. Uh, they call it a Belgian Noel Ale with spices and then... Uh, put in bourbon barrels to uh, give it a nice bourbon flavor. Uh, it comes in a four pack. It's pretty expensive. <laughs> uh, it's a special that they. I think it feels like they do every year, and uh, it's a pretty heavy, hefty beer. Um, took me the entirety of Marriage Story to drink it, which Marriage Story is a 
fairly lengthy film at about 140 minutes. Uh, so it took me that and longer to drink one bottle of the 12 ounce bottle of this beer. So it's it's a it's a heavy one, but uh, I liked it. I think it's um it's a beer that I, I again it's like one of those beers that we've had on the show like for the last few episodes of those beers that you're like I am interested to try this. I don't know if I want to have a whole lot of them or ever have it again. <laughs> um, you know, it's a, one of those another one of those hefty stouts where you're like, I give it a shot. It's experimental. Um, you know, I just want to have it one time and see what it's like. This one is what I would say. It's a very heavy, boozy, bourbony flavor. Uh, it's got the Belgian style to it, but very, very light. The bourbon really overpowers that flavor. And then I get a little bit of like a molasses flavor to it as well. That probably comes out of the bourbon barrel, the bourbon itself. You know, this bourbon sometimes tends to have a molassesy sweet flavor too. Um, so really what I'm getting from it is a really bourbony beer at 11.5%. So it's a pretty, uh, pretty strong, um, strong ale and one that I would say you can enjoy like slowly a sipping beer, probably one at a time. And, you know, even then I think one was plenty for me. <laughs> like this is it. I don't know if I'll ever have this one again, though it was good. Yeah. I, I'm kind of conflicted about it. I love me some Belgian beers. They're one of my favorite. They're probably like one of my favorite style of beers. I like – see, I do appreciate the bourbon flavor, but at the same time, it's not something I ever really want. Like all – like out of like the several different like bourbon – like bourbon like barreled like beers that we've had on here, I always find them to be what too overpowering. Like it's not balanced. I think this beer would be – much better if they were able to balance that bourbon flavor with this like heavier, more alcohol based, you know, Belgian style. Cause you don't really get to taste like the, like the Belgian yeast and the coriander and mm-hmm. the malts that they use in mm-hmm. it. It's just totally overpowered by the bourbon and alcohol aspect of it. So it really doesn't make it that much different than like just some, any old winter warmer, mm. you know, it almost like at times kind strong. of comes off, you know, dark fruity, you know, yeah, like strong, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Which is not something that we're fans of here. So, yeah. I mean, it wasn't bad, but would I ever go out of my way to have it? No. Cause it took me when I had it went like a couple of weeks ago, it took me like quite a while, like two hours to get through it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say try it if it's like your thing, but again, I just, I, I have yet to have a bourbon, you know, uh, barrel-type beer that's been able to balance the bourbon aspect with the style of beer that they're going for. Yeah, I I think that this is uh, really overpoweringly bourbon. And so it's really going to depend on your preference for that type of flavor in your beer. Like, I love bourbon. Um, but even that, like, this is really on the, like, bourbon sweet side for me in this beer. Um so I liked it. Just a, a sipping beer. It took a long time for me to get through it. Um, so I'm glad I had it. Glad I tried it. I just wouldn't say – I wouldn't pro- go out of my way to get it again. Uh, I wouldn't choose to like – you know, if somebody offered me a selection, I probably wouldn't go with this one. So 
take that into consideration. You know, and this is probably a beer for somebody else. Somebody probably really loves those celery, uh, not not the <laughs> vegetable celery, but the celery like flavors of this beer. This you know, hey, it's been sitting down here in this nice dank basement yeah, for exactly, three years. Exactly, yeah, the must the mustiness. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Did you did you want to talk about anything else? Did you want to talk about no? Your, that's it. Yeah, I think that's probably it. I mean, yeah. we might as well talk about it while we've got it on the show, and and uh, you know, go, especially since it was so expensive, we probably won't get it again. <laughs> um, might as well bring it up. Well, I was telling people at work about that candy cat mushroom beer, and they were just looking at me straight eyed. I know, one, I, one, like wondering, like, I, what the hell are you talking? Actually, about? it's pretty funny because I was just watching um, the Connors yesterday, the uh, Roseanne spinoff. That they have on now, mm-hmm. and uh, I love it when sitcoms treat, um, w- w- especially like working class people, like the Connors are, and they treat, you know, they talk about beer, and obviously they like their very uh, macro beers, and so they just had a joke about a guy bringing, uh, uh, he, I guess what it was, it was like an organic small batch IPA. They brought in a small batch IPA over, and at this which point, is funny now, which is funny because most of those writers are probably like. They drink that all the time. Well, not only that, but most of the time, I feel like IPAs aren't really outside the scope of like normal macro beers anymore. Like many, many macro beer breweries are making IPAs at this point. Yeah. So it's not really out of the question that like now somebody that you know we think of as like working class uh, Midwest guy that like Dan Connor is. Uh, would be opposed to uh, an IPA. I guess I'm they sure threw Dan in the Con- small batch organic. I'm to- sure Dan Connor, he'd be riding on his lawnmower. I'm like, oh, let me crack open this Founders All Day IPA. Yes. Oh. I just think it's funny. Like Now, a candy cap mushroom beer would, would be, be very funny on something like that because that is, I would say, outre. <laughs> you know, Bougie. Yeah, out of, out of the normal scope of what you would see. And so... You know, that would be more – I just think it's funny that now we still continue to use IPAs like the, the uh, you know, micro-brew of choice when we're going to make fun of millennials and their random weird beers, you know. There's way weirder that they could use that they probably don't even think about. So. All right. Was it wholly organic? Huh? Did they source all of their materials from local I don't farmers? Know. I don't know. Maybe. Hopefully they got the candy cat mushrooms from their local rogues in like um, Portland, Oregon, I think. So hopefully they got it from their Oregon suppliers. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, for uh, Dan Connor, it'd be a Goose Island because aren't they in Illinois? Yeah, yeah, probably. It'd be Goose Island. Yeah. Which Goose Island's not even micro anymore. No, it's macro, yeah. All right, so marriage story. I would say, hell, at this point, I wouldn't even consider Sam Adams to be micro. Nope. They're, nope. they're big beer. They've way expanded, yeah. All right, marriage story. Uh, let's get into it. I'm itching to talk about it. So, Got some thoughts and feelings. That's right. There's a lot of feelings in this movie. As Netflix's subtitles told us, we should be feeling thoughtful. We should be feeling emotional. Uh, every time the, you know the music plays, which is very seldomly. There's not a lot of musical notes in this uh, but when it does play, the subtitles, they tell you how to feel. Feel thoughtful. You feel – there's no whimsical. There it's are, not a Steven the, Spielberg movie. There are moments where the music does sound slightly whimsy, like whimsical, and I'm yeah. like, oh, it's, yeah. we're getting close to Spielbergian whimsy. That's right, yeah. But it doesn't tell you that. You're thoughtful or emotional. 
One of the sentimental. two. Yeah, sentimental. Yeah. One of the two or three. You should feel those throughout the movie. So, yes. Um, <clears throat> Marriage Story is a, uh, a film about divorce. It's a film about two people, Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver, two beautiful people, <laughs> going through separation. And we meet them in media res. You know, they're, they're going through this separation at this time. It's not really gotten to an ugly point yet. It's really at the beginning of that separation where they're still sort of trying to pursue the therapy involved and, you know, coming to amicable terms uh, together about the separation. But it is a separation all the same. And so you know that at this point the marriage has ended, the bargaining has begun. And so we meet these people at that stage in their life, they've got a son. They live; they're basically living cross country at this point. One has pursued her career in L.A. One is still doing his career in New York, in Brooklyn, and it's about the space—literally, the space between them. Space between. That's right, Dave Matthews coming in with his yodel. I mean, uh, I would say if it was like the mid two thousands, you know, that would be that's right. Yeah, yeah, that would be the, the theme, the there, theme you know, song for it. Somewhere, you know, when you hit, you know, we're hitting the low and we're feeling sentimental. Crash. That'd be great, actually, if somebody, you know, we did this for all like the like a nineties style thing where uh, you have the movie. It's very like what, what, a powerful emotional movie like Marriage Story, and you have like original songs from the soundtrack, Mo- Marriage Story, Dave Matthews, <laughs> featuring Dave Matthews hit. Space between. <laughs> but literally, the metaphor is the space between. You know, so L.A., New York, the metaphor being it's pretty far away. And so we're, as the audience, caught in the middle. We're like. We're flyover country. That's, that's right. We got it. We're, we're, um, we're uh, Iowa. We're Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> yeah. We have, to, we have to, come, to come to terms with looking at Adam Driver and saying. I like Adam Driver. I like I like who you are in this film. I like the things that I've seen you do. But also, you're controlling. And you're career-oriented. And sometimes you do things that are selfish. And then we have to look at Scarlett Johansson and say, Scarlett. Make up your fucking mind. You, <laughs> you also have some issues that you're not dealing with. You know, you... You wanted to live a life that you maybe didn't voice to Adam Driver. And, you know, he, how was he supposed to navigate that? And so the film itself Communication. Is, that's right. <laughs> the film itself is really a mediation of the two. It's, it's saying, how, can we, how, how as the audience can we look at both of these characters without seeing one of them as the winner or the, or, or the person that we would associate with more – as the the quote unquote right person in this scenario, um, because there really isn't one, um, which differs ha- from the squid and the whale. Yeah, because by the end, there's clearly a you know, there's like a, a there's, he, yeah, there's a point where you come into and say Jeff well, Daniels kind of a scumbag. Laura Linney, you, you're probably right to do what you did. Exactly, <laughs> and that in itself is probably. Um, from the perspective, which makes sense as like as the child growing up, exactly, you know, who's you know like blinded by like no, just yeah. I believe in dad, I believe in dad, mom's lying, mom's lying, become you know as he gets you know old, he'll be like oh shit, that's right. I find the interesting thing about this being somewhat autobiographical as a film is that it's a really it's actually a quite fair perspective from both sides um, to look at, and so obviously you know Noah Baumbach directed and wrote this film. 
Um, but you would, I would expect him as the writer to be seeking some outside influence on his script. You know, saying having other people read it and say, "What do you think? Like, am I am I falling too far to one side here? Am I am I siding too much with Adam Driver in this scenario? Because you know, from his perspective, he would be Adam Driver, or maybe maybe not. Maybe he maybe he flipped the the mirror on itself. So you know, maybe Noah Baumbach in this situation would be more like Scarlett Johansson, and he tried to try to change that thing up or see from a different perspective. The only, But what I find interesting is that it really is a pretty fair look at both of those characters where you're not falling to one side or another where you're saying, you know, I think, you know, I side with Adam Driver in this the whole way. You know, Adam Driver is completely right. Scarlett Johansson's wrong. Um, because that would be problematic for the script, right? That, or problematic for you to view these characters and say, Though it wants it to be, you know, sort of a fair perspective, I find, I think this person is more correct or right than this other person. It's an interesting... You're the arbiter. That's right. That's right. You are the person that's listening in to both sides and has to decide, you know, who who do you think is the right person here? And, and, And you really don't need to decide that. There's no nobody sitting there at the end. There's no like pop up card that says like who did you like who who do you like here? Uh, in make theaters, your choice. Right, yeah. You know, there's actually yeah they actually have a ballot the, <laughs> in the theater. And you're like pick the pick one that you like. Um, but it is interesting too because we are often you know there's a there's a whole court um, court battle scene where a judge is hearing both sides of the this case from their lawyers. And it's interesting that for the most part, uh, they choose to not show the judge sitting in his chair, especially when they're going over the two, their fight, the two lawyers are fighting. Basically, we are looking at both of those perspectives as the judge in that scenario. We're hearing both sides and then coming to conclusions ourselves. Well, it's um, also great during that scene, too, is you get to see when, like, um, you see like how th- little things that they said to each other get totally blown out of proportion. Mm-hmm. Like how, like a previous night, uh, Scarlett Johansson had told, uh, Adam driver that like, Oh, I had like a little bit too much wine, you know, tonight. And he's like, Oh, I understand. You know, he's like, just so stressed. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next time they're in court, he- that's getting used that she's an alcoholic. Right. You know, and right. she was tending to the child. And you can see they panned like Adam Driver's face, like, oh shit, that's what's really. And then right, it pans exactly. to Scarlett jo- Johansson's face, and she's going like, oh shit. And then, you know, the same thing happens to Adam Driver, where something that he said to Scarlett Johansson, their lawyer uses against, you know, yeah. him to make him look like a shithead. And it's, it's that lo- slow progression yeah. of right Estel- now we're pretty civil, you know, and then as. Things get tenser and we can't come to decisions and we can't, you know, neither of us can see eye to eye on this. It escalates to the point where we didn't want it to get to. And yet you can see that snowball effect of like, it's just happening. Like things are rolling where they did not anticipate. Well, see, I think, and I think part of, part of it too, also like a, I don't know if it's intentional, but it's kind of like a nice little, uh, critique on like the divorce proceedings mm-hmm. because originally they're like no we're not going to get lawyers involved they're still very amicable you know yes we don't love each other anymore we want to be separated but you know 
we're going to try to figure it out, go from there. But then she gets a lawyer who, like, sweet talks her into, like, no, we're going to do all this and that and uh, this and that. And then he doesn't, you know, get a lawyer right away. He's like, no, we're going to do this fine and all this. And then all of a sudden he's hearing, like, the lawyer saying, no, we're gonna, I'm going to take this from you and that from you. And then he's yeah. like, oh, fuck, i got to go on the offensive, the, the too. The threats and, come out. Yeah. yeah, and then he gets a lawyer who's like, look, it's all about the kid. You know, he's fine with that. And then as soon as he hears, like, he's going to lose this battle and get fucked, you know, fucked over, he's like, well, i got to go back to the original lawyer, Ray Liotta, who is telling me this is how we're going to fight to win, you know. Yeah. Because he, as the opening letter says, like, he doesn't like to lose. That's right. You know, and They're just both totally yeah. snowballs. And, yeah, it, and it's really... The way that it's uh, it progresses is great. You know, this is a, a lengthy film; it's two hours and fifteen minutes long. But the slow progression is really useful because you're seeing that realistic tension and the frustration that comes from both sides. Of you know, one side can't. The, we're seeing both perspectives, and it's frustrating to the viewer too, and very tense because. There isn't really a right answer here, and it just keeps escalating in the same way that, like, if you've ever been in an argument before where two people are arguing about similar things, but they're not the same, and you're constantly getting into a one-upsmanship that you're not really meaning to, but there there's misunderstandings on both sides, and so it eventually comes to a head where you say things that maybe you've always been thinking but you would never dare voice for whatever reason for maybe because you're too scared to voice it. Maybe because you're not sure that you mean it. Um, but at the same time, like you say it and then you can't take it back. And that's where marriage story goes to, especially in like its middle portion. It gets extremely tense for the viewer because you're sort of in like that situation where it's like sort of cringy. You're like, Lee, I'm so glad I'm not literally in their situation right now. Well, I think, too, the film also benefits a lot from the tenseness of, like, where their marriage went awry mm-hmm. is left to be, for the most part, ambiguous. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, absolutely. I mean, like, we do hear ScarJo say, like, how she couldn't make up her mind, you know, mm-hmm. like, and what she wanted. She didn't know, and she felt like her opinions and things that she mattered to her weren't getting listened to. And thoughtfully reciprocated by Am Driver, and then Am Driver also being kind of like, well, she was you know cold and mm-hmm. ice, you know, distant from me. So, yeah. but like we don't like there's we don't get to see the buildup of what happened there, to it. Yeah, there's the, no like all, easy. Here's what happened. You the know, only the only thing is that we get really like the Tinder that like you know kind of. I mean, the thing that like lets the whole thing blow up is like he had an extramarital affair one time. You know, mm-hmm. that's like the thing that sets it. Totally off. So, I, again, I think that also helps, too, to make the argument between, like, you know, their fighting be much more balanced because we don't know every little nitty-gritty detail about their relationship. We just, like, here's, like, you know, it, it's just gone off. And I think, too, with the the thing that Noah Baumbach is doing with that is um, he is – it's sort of realistic in that um, a lot of times you probably don't know where – there was this one incident where it was like, okay, the marriage is over. There wasn't a m- one incident. There was many. And you can't really pinpoint what was the deciding factor. It's sort of like um, it's sort of like a series of small wounds that sort of lead up to – Fester. Yeah, that, that final thing where it's just like dead. Um, and I think that's pretty realistic as to – and obviously I've never been in this situation, but – 
something that would cause a, a separation like this. Or and, and I think it's really realistic that they don't know. They, 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 both of them seem to not know exactly what it was that caused this separation. But it's – and they can't voice it. There's this one really great scene where they're both in Adam Driver's apartment his, when he's staying in L.A., and they're fighting and they're escalating this fight and they're just continually escalating until they get to a point where they're saying things that possibly they mean. Uh, like Adam Driver says, you know, sometimes he wishes that Scarlett Johansson would just die uh, if he, he thought that their son would be OK, you know, that she should just die. And obviously, you know, maybe that is maybe he thinks that. But also maybe it's a heat of a moment thing where you say things and you're just like, I don't know why I said that. You know, it just came out. Um, and so there's that escalation that I think is really great and very tense and um, something that's really realistic to real life. You just sometimes you never know what exactly caused that issue, that rift between you. Um, and then also there's there's a great in that same scene, they bring up a really great point of what is it that are now that you're in the divorce proceedings? Are you looking back and are you seeing things differently in your life now that you know that you're getting a divorce where Scarlett Johansson says that she wasn't happy in their marriage and Adam Driver says, you think you're not happy. You think you weren't happy when you really were. Um, There's that whole look back in that memory process of was I really happy in that moment? Did I think I was happy? Was I actually happy? Where you're you're just not sure anymore. Um, You know, so it's, it's that look back thing. Now you're in the present you can't change the past and you can't change where the future is headed. And so you look back and you see things differently. It's a really interesting uh, portrayal of relationships that evolve over time and people change and you change different in different ways. Maybe you change apart. Maybe you change together. Um, things that you can't just pinpoint and say, yeah, this is what happened. Interesting. And also really tense and frustrating for the viewer too supposed to be frustrating um it's pretty clear that no there's, there's a couple there's a couple of scenes where we see like different mediators sitting around yeah and you can see just how like uncomfortable it is for them <laughs> we're like, to the like, point where we're, they're like i'm gonna order yeah, lunch <laughs> yeah, like the, the whole like the whole uh expert that comes in to watch him being like a father to his son like uh-huh. she's the way she's just sitting there like all mousy and shit like i'll just have water and Okay. That's extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, that's, that's like uh, just. I think partly because like, does she, I want to ask, like, does she have no soul? What kind of job like is that? That feels like you, the you kind just, of job where you'd have to go home every night and like cry, cut yourself, and you know, drink, drink, you drink yourself. Like, okay, going in tomorrow to see you know. Yeah, there's also that like sardonic comment that Adam Driver makes where he's like, "Do you ever observe married couples?" <laughs> where she's like, "No, why would I?" I know, no, that's I know that's that's a good line, you know, because it's you know it's just he's just drawing attention yeah. to like you're only seeing people in At their, their worst. literal yeah. worst scenario. Yeah, exactly. You and know. so it it is really interesting. It does draw a lot of you know attention to divorce in general. You know what people go through, how much it costs. Um, the ridiculousness <laughs> of like the escalation and how lawyers can sometimes pivot what you're saying as what you want and make it into something else because it's a win for them. You know, lawyers are and divorce Paid. proceedings still trying to win. Paid they they want to win just as much as other people do. Even if you even if you came to them and you didn't really there wasn't you didn't want there to be a winner. You just wanted there to be equal playing fields. Um, I will say too that's kind of something that's um. I don't know exactly how I feel about it yet. It might take some time to digest. 
I don't know how I feel about them being so amicable for the most part. The the two you know, between Adam Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver because mm-hmm. for the most for like seventy five percent of the film they're going through it very amicably. It's only like mm-hmm. when like the lawyers like you know start getting involved that you know it gets the heat gets turned up. But like for the most part, well, I can kind of see it though, especially because Adam Driver is sort of uh, throughout a fair amount of the film not really expecting to be a divorce per se, a separation maybe, but like he's not expecting it to be. Like the end all be all of their relationship, it seems like. Um, so he's sort of still. I don't even know. I don't even know if maybe he's subconsciously doing this, um, but just thinking like. Well, that's you know, what I'm saying. End. So it's like it's it's hard for me to digest like it going so amicably. But I mean, maybe because, like I said, because when we were watching, I was saying like that would totally not be me. I would be mm-hmm. to come to Sherman on the march to Georgia, you know, burning everything, scorched earth in the bath, you know. But you have to. You have to think about it from the perspective of you've been with this person for a long time, made a kid. You, at one point, really did like each other. I know, but there's a lot of people, and you probably know them too, that have gone through very... I think it depends. <laughs> yeah, no, and I know, and I think it depends on it's what like, happened it, in it's that. It's like a 75-25 on, you know, the... I think it depends on what happened in that relationship too. So, you know, if, if the husband was extremely abusive and stuff like that... Uh, you know, possibly you, you would see things completely differently, but because the film leaves things up amb- ambiguously as to what happened in a relationship, and they really don't seem to understand where it went wrong either, there's less of that like outright hatred for the other person. So you still have the amicableness of like, I like this person as a friend. I don't want to lose them as a friend. We've been with each other. We've dealt with each other. And you see that at the end of the film too, that Scarlett Johansson, for all of their their issues and everything that they've fought about at the end she ties his shoelace because she's used to that she just that's something that she used to do for him and so that implicitness you can't really more, you can't I, get rid I of that I thought more that was more um cuz she said he's the one that's atten- detail oriented mm-hmm. his attention I thought more of that of a being, change yeah being like she, that's something like that she's gained from him I think it's both. You know. I, th- I think, like, yeah, that's that's true. You know, that's something that she's changed. She's changing her life. She said it mm. when she's getting finger banged in the car. <laughs> um, but I think also too, it's just like very, the, very empowering too. I, I think it's just that message. Yeah, right. Yeah, that getting and ex- exactly. Um, I think it's that message too that like these are things that you would do for that person in your life that you've lived with for twenty four seven for uh, years, and so you're you're used to that. And so changing that entirely where that person leaves your life forever is really difficult. And so you're trying to make sense of that. And I think that like sometimes things do end in just hatred, but also some things are a lot less uh, explicit like that. There's And there's a lot of factors involved in how you feel about it. So – Really interesting. I mean, it's, and again, there's no real right or wrong element of it. It's presented as is, and as the audience, you're just taking it in. Uh, you know, both sides. How did you feel about the film being shot in one sixty six to one aspect ratio? Did you notice that with the little bars on the on the side? No, I didn't. So not a very common aspect ratio for modern films to be shot in. Uh, a lot of older films used to Hammer particularly used to use 166 to 1 uh some of those i some of those were just simply because that's the type of film that they had but this obviously was a choice to shoot the film in one you know they could have shot it in 
normal they, widescreen. Did they say the actual shot on film and not digital? I don't know. Doesn't matter though. I mean, he's still mad at it for one sixty six to one. And I was gonna say because uh, apparently someone was saying at work the other day that uh, Kodak started to get a slight boost now because uh, people are buying like their old film. Oh really? Yeah, like you know, there's a de- slight demand for you know older film, yeah. and I, I know Tarantino's one that likes to shoot and you know, yeah, like thirty five millimeter and all that. So. I just found it really interesting that they decided to mat it to 166 to 1 because it, it obviously scrunches a little bit, p- pushes things inward. You're losing that stuff on the sides that you would normally see in a widescreen shot. And I think that was mainly so that you have much more of a focus on just two people in a shot or one person in a shot, very close-ups. Film uh, really likes the close-up shots, especially in that final that scene that I was talking about where they are sort of coming at each other very aggressively and Adam Driver punches the wall. There's very that, angry white man asking. Yeah. And there's that interplay of very close up shots of them. Like, you know, it's actually cutting off like their forehead, uh, almost like the top of their forehead because it's so close up. And it gives you that very, very tense, uh, personal feeling of being like right in their space. Um, and I think that's what the 166 to one aspect ratio was really attempting to do is like get very, just very close. You know, scrunch everything in, get 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 you very close to these people, cutting out the sides of it all. It's that idea of space mm-hmm. again, which it brings up many, many times, you know, especially the, there's a really funny uh, continual theme of people talking about L.A. and how great it is because there's so much space. space. See, you know, in New York, there's not a lot of space. L.A., there's so much space. Uh, so it's that, again, that like that metaphor about, you know, I like that everyone was, just wanted to be L.T., yeah. So simple. I just want BLT. BLT's good. And how dare she order for Adam Driver? Again. How it's, it's just that <laughs> that part of their relationship where she knows what he wants. It's normal. Yeah, right? You would normally do that. Hard to hard to break that habit, I guess. So this is it's interesting to watch marriage story from the perspective of someone who's never been through a divorce before. Um I am married, and I I did not go through a divorce. And so it sort of puts you in that scenario, it shows you exactly what you're going to go through. Um, it's intense, and it's very uh, – I would say that it, like, it hopefully will throw people off of, like, pursuing, <laughs> pursuing it, right? Because you're like, well, I'm going to lose all my money. Uh, it's going to be ugly. You that retainer fee. Woo, fuck. <laughs> yeah. That's also a really good line where he, he's like, uh, goes to the, Ray Liotta as the lawyer the, for the first time, and he's like, you know, I, I, my fee is nine hundred fifty dollars an hour. Uh, Ted's fee over there is four hundred. If you got a stupid question, you call him. <laughs> it's a really good line. But honestly, Ray Liotta himself in this film is great. Is, yeah, he's awesome. He's a, he's a he's a delight in this, even though he's a raging asshole. It's he awesome. would have, you know, fit on. Um, he should have been casted for uh, People versus OJ. Mm-hmm. You know, he would have been great on that. Yeah, you know. yeah. Um, so we we talked a little bit um, about the tie-ins between the squid and the whale, but there is one that really resonates early on in the film. It's when he goes to the museum that has the whale and the squid exhibit. What, no, that, but the <laughs> tennis court scene is, is great. Just 
immediately draws that parallel between the squid and the whale. We got one day we'll have Mary to go squid. down to Brooklyn and try to find that tennis court. And yeah. Let's try yeah. to find it. I love tennis. I'll have to play. Would have been great if there was a cameo of Stephen Baldwin in the background, too, you know? Yeah. Teaching some kid, like, all right, it's like, screw it over. I think another thing that Marriage Story does, though, is turn you off of Brooklyn Theater. The He's an up-and-coming avant-garde. You know. It's certainly... F- I, I don't enjoy theater that much. And Adam Driver's theater seems like just the worst in terms of... You know what it is? It's heck. He don't let it drop. Ever. <laughs> don't right. let it drop. Ever. That's right. It is that. It's Freddie uh, Prince. And- <laughs> yeah. Because it's just so cheesy i think to me it's hard to take it seriously in this film but i guess you know you're supposed oh, you to take smell the toast <laughs> what the hell does that even mean you can smell it it's my <laughs> it was my literally my favorite scene of the year and it's like such an la thing like oh, i saw this one random play out some some fucking bungalow in brooklyn and it was you know oh, fucking annoying. that's annoying Definitely turns you off of the Brooklyn theater aspect. That and L.A., both of them. I just push New York City and Brook- and L.A. off, you know, off into the distance. It's another thing that's interesting to me about the two characters, uh, both Scarlett Johansson's and Adam Driver's, is that they're sort of like yuppie, upper-class characters, and yet you could still... I didn't feel turned away from them. Um, partly, I guess that's because they still associate the struggles of like, no matter where you are in upper class life, lower class life, the struggle of divorce is still the same. Um, except when you're in upper class, there's more money involved. There's <laughs> more money to lose and more money to gain, uh, and more things to separate. But I did find it interesting. You know, a lot of people would probably find these two characters hard to relate to, except that they put them in a very relatable situation. I I will say, going back to like the whole L.A. Uh, Brooklyn thing, I'd find the Brooklyn to be less pretentious because that whole scene where ScarJo's on that set and like you had like the directors and staff just fucking t- talking offhand about her divorce and like in this like pretentious like bougie dipshit sense. That like just was like angering me, just like watching it. Was well, supposed to? I know. I it's supposed I know. to be overwhelming. No, I know, and it's like you know, and like I understand that, but it's just like, oh my god! Like if that's what f- the film business, I would like, no, yeah. never, absolutely never. It's like, great. Who are you, fucks? You know, to be like, hold the baby, well, and like it's, and that's also great too. And like, hold it like this, and she's like, I need to support the head. <laughs> As, you know, somebody who's actually been a mother who's, you know, had, had to hold a child. She's like, what do you want me to do? Just use your shoulder. Use your shoulder. Oh, okay. And it's like, you know, a CGI baby wrap because it's got, a, you know, like a blue wrapped in tape. So they're going to like CGI the baby in or whatever. Yeah. That that whole just like, I, again, I, I get that's supposed to be aggravating, but that just like made my blood boil. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a good scene. I think it, they do a really good job of. Making those scenes stand out, making making you feel a certain way, overwhelmed, tense, uh, anxious. It does a good job. What the hell was her TV pilot anyway? I don't know. It was supposed to sound really ridiculous, like Mother Earth, you know, yeah. like 
I don't know, some science fiction thing she was doing that was supposed to be based on science and reality, and then they had the this their science uh, God, expert like, who's like, like, no, there's no, there's no science in this. Some grad student from UCLA. Again, it's and then she ends up, what, winning an Emmy for it? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, We uh, did not talk about that there is Halloween in this film twice, and both times suck because <laughs> in L.A., during Halloween, they're out at like 5 o'clock and it's bright sunlight trick-or-treating, and then they're going to go get dinner afterwards. Like, who does that? Not only that, but the kid has one Halloween, does it, gets a bunch of candy, comes to Adam Driver's apartment, and he's going to take him out for Halloween, and the kid says, I'm too tired. And I'm like, no, you're going out. You're going out again. I will say that part made me totally think of Jeff Daniels and uh, in The Squid and the Whale, mm-hmm. where they're having the talk about, like, uh, He's talking to his younger son. He's like, no, you like books and art and stuff. He's like, no, I want to be a tennis player. He's like, no, you don't want to be a Philistine. Like, yeah. Like Stephen Baldwin. He's like, yeah, I do want to be a Philistine. Yeah. And he's like, no, you don't. No. Because he's like, come on, we're going to be Frankenstein and the Invisible Man. He's like, no, I don't want to do that. He's like, come on, we're going to be Frankenstein and Invisible I worked really hard. Come on. Now I want to be a ninja. You, you little shit. Come on. Yeah. You want to be Frankenstein. Yeah, there's a few things like <laughs> yeah. that, too. And, uh, especially, you know, when she says, you know, to Adam Driver, you're just like your father. And, again, that would be calling back to what we know as autobiographically, the squid and the whale as well. Um, talking about the alcoholism and things like that. Um, and then also just all the ways that Adam Driver reacts are sort of sort of like how Jeff Daniels reacts in the squid and the whale. Maybe a little less comedic yeah and exaggerated but all the same like when adam driver kind of like and i think this was probably purposeful but he punches the wall but it's like sort of like a soft punch that does Mm -hmm. leave a hole in the wall that's a it's a good scene because it's like you know he's not as aggressive or violent but he's still you know he's aggravated so he punches the wall but it's not like a meant to be a really hard punch um i think adam driver himself does a really great job in this movie with his acting in general um, and there, the scene where he has to break down and cry is great. It's very well done, very, you know, just authentic part of that scene. Um, cause it, and, that's, lot- and that's, and that goes back to the whole <clears throat> talking about how they're trying to one up each other, mm-hmm. you know, and he's ranting about how he was married to her and he was in his twenties and he could have been fucking that, like, you know. A bunch, you know, a whole bunch of women, because you know, but he didn't because he was with her and he loved her, you know, and he wasted his twenties, even though that he couldn't, you know, he might have not have wasted his twenties. He was hot shit. He was the hot director, you know, and I think that's supposed. I think it, you know, that's supposed to be like, like it's. I think it's more. It's more of him trying to be hurtful than regret. Like, I think maybe he does have some regret. Like, man, I kind of fucked my, you know, threw my 20s away. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think it's more because he's trying to be hurtful to her. Like, you know, like, I didn't have to marry you, you know. Mm-hmm. And you you took this away from me. Because mm-hmm. she was saying how, like, you know, he didn't listen to her, you know, go to L.A. and let her do, you know, projects. He'd always say, like, oh, we'll, we'll t- you know, talk about it later, talk about it later. You know, because they're t- arguing about his, his, the extramarital affair he had, which, you know. I think uh, 
point that he brings up that's really you know really good is when she's like do you love her she's like no i don't lo- i didn't love her yeah and you see how like we see really small interactions between them where he didn't ha- like you know his feelings for her like he didn't have any it was just you know like a release mm-hmm. you know to like be able to relate to somebody you know mm-hmm. it wasn't the sex aspect but it was like you know he got to have a laugh he got to you know have like a joyful conversation with somebody mm. You know, but other than that, you know, yeah. which he wasn't getting from his wife at that point. Yeah. 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 I think that Scar Joe is good in this movie. I think Adam Driver is great in this movie. He's the show. Yeah, exactly. He's, he definitely is like the best element here. Um, that's not to say that Scar Joe is not good or anything like that. It's I think probably she does her a, best role. Yeah. I think she does a good job. I also think never, it's kind I, of, and I've said before on the podcast from different films we reviewed with her, and her I've never felt her to be that great of an actress. Mm-hmm. I think this, she actually did get to show some range. Mm-hmm. I think her range at times is pretty limited, but I think she did a good job here. Adam Driver was great. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, th- I think that she was good. She did a good job, you know. Definitely, definitely a nice job. But Adam Driver really steals the show here. Is the, you know, is the he, he has a lot of range and um, he, he gets a chance to showcase it too, especially at the end there where he where he has to break down. And Noah Baumbach doesn't really, you know, there a lot of times with a, a crying scene you would have cuts. And there's not really mm-hmm. that cut there. You have sort of like he just goes into it. So there's no real way to splice and edit. To make it, you know, to make two different shots work. It's just all in one. And it's great. It's, it does a really great job. Uh, what else did we talk about? I think it's a good job, too, because she comforts them afterwards. Like, realizing, like, their argument there was just them being petulant and trying yeah. to hurt each other. It wasn't, yeah. you know, anything productive. It was, you know. Yep. It's good. And they do say in the beginning of the film, too, that he's the more emotional one, like, because he's the one that will cry during films, you know, when he watches them, and she's more, you know, reserved. Like, one of the critiques, and it's, I, I do find this to be funny, like, after, like, they're getting separated, he's like, well, I do have two notes about your performance. And he he's like, I don't think I should say it. It's probably not appropriate now. She's like, no, no, go ahead. And he's like, you know, trying too hard for the crying, you know, trying too hard for that emotion. You know, and you look too dignified with your back. You need to, you know, not be so dignified with your back, but you need to, you know, tone it down. And then you need to stop trying to push that emotion if it's not going to come. And she's, you know, like, I can't help but. Yeah. What else? Well, we said Ray Liotta was cool. How about, you know, this, this kind of like film is like a who's who of going down memory lane of, you know, actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. Laura Dern having a a big year this year. She's in Greta Gerwig's uh, Little Women, and in this one, so unrecognizable from her Jurassic Park days. We never notice. Laura Dern's looking very leggy in this movie. Yeah, uh, I, they made sure to have her like you know in the heels and the extremely tall. Yes, a lot of leg. Did notice that? Um, no, but she's really good as well in this. Um, very talked about Ray Liotta. Yeah. I mean, they both do a really good job in their respective roles as the two opposing counsel for for lawyers. I mean, both of them are coming at it from different perspectives, quite literally both having worked on divorces in very similar matters of like men versus women and things like that, knowing what the other side is going to try to do uh, and then 
you know, escalating it that much further. Um, I I thought they both did a really good job. Had Julie Haggerty of Airplane fame. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't know she was still acting. I was happy to see her, uh, you know, running around being like, "I, you can't be getting a divorce with I love Charlie. Yeah, Gma. Yeah, that was great, too, especially... I'm still... You're still talking to him, too? Yeah. He said he needs his camera back. Yeah, as, 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 uh, the, it gives you sort of that perspective of, you know, what a divorce does to the rest of the people. You know, what, what kind of casualties does it have surrounding your relationship? You know, things that you wouldn't expect, but that, you know, now cannot be... You can't do, like... <laughs> She says, you, you just can't talk to him anymore. You can't be friends with him anymore. And I know it's not supposed to. I think it is supposed to be like, it's supposed to be very dark humor. When they're talking about ScarJo's dad and he was a closet gay man <laughs> yeah. that she was married to. And he's, she's like, I thought your father was homosexual, but I got through that. And I wish I dealt with it differently, you know. Right, right. Yeah. No, she's it's, good in this role as well. She's you know, got a limited, get, gets a limited amount of stuff to do, um, but does a good job with it anyway. Had uh, Wallace Shawn, yeah, Prince's Bride fame. Yeah. Always happy to see him. Yeah, you know. I like. Yeah, I like to see him. Um, I just love his advice. I just love his advice to Adam Driver. Now that you're separated, go out and fuck as many people as you can. Man, woman, it doesn't matter. Treasure it. Yeah, it's a, he's got an interesting role. Just a very just, small you know, one, but... He's, you know, just... And Robert Smigel. Yeah, Robert Smigel. I know. As the mediator. Shows up as a mediator. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> they do have a who's who. Other than that, anything else? Yeah. Like I said, the, the music is uh, fairly sporadic throughout this movie. It doesn't... You know, a lot of it is just basically literally drama. Uh, almost to the point where... Noah Baumbach is mimicking what a play would be like. There's a lot of fade-out, black fade-outs, mm-hmm. as though, you know, it's a play with the, you know, lights going off, fading out into black, and then, you know, the next scene. Um, so the the music is really used sporadically, so you you don't get a lot of it. There's a couple montages, especially when they go Halloween, uh, Halloween trick-or-treating. Um, what did you think of the music, though? The, the it was good, it. you know, for... I think uh, it benefited from being sporadic and not. It's not one of know, those films that's like just hitting I, it, you over the head. I with think music. the again, it's it. The, you're right. The film is like a play because mainly it's the interactions between ScarJo and Adam Driver and then their son too. So I think you know, they're act. You know, they're acting and they're what they're portraying is what matters most and is what's driving the film. So yeah, no, I think the whole. Him being a play director and a playwright, you know, definitely lends credence to the film because that's definitely the style that they're going for here. Like, they're not, it's not trying to be overly cinematic and bombastic. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Stylistically or, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the best way to do it. It's just not, you know, you don't want a film that's just constantly got music running underneath it. It, it undermines the script, really. And the delivery from the from the actors, so because you, you don't need like Netflix tells us having to know like okay this is a thoughtful pensive scene because the music sounds thoughtful. Or, you know or what's emotional. funny too is like if the subtitles are there for somebody who's like deaf and like has to you know read what's going on, 
it's not like they're gonna know what sentimental music is, you know, like right. Oh, you know, what would yeah. thoughtful music be? Yeah, it's true. It, really is, fu- it is funny. I do appreciate the touch. Yeah. Anything else that we didn't touch on? I think we covered pretty much everything. Um, all right. So uh, on a scale of oh, I will say oh, too, sure. um, the scene where Adam Driver cuts himself—that's mm. you know, yeah, right from the because I joked right before that, like I said, "What is he going to have a heart attack like Jeff Daniels and the yeah. squid and the whale?" Instead of having a heart attack this time, he has the goes the Luke Wilson route and Royal Ten bombs and slits his wrist. Yeah, though on accident. Yeah, that's a good one as well. That's a nice, like, dark yeah. comic element to it. And very uh, re- relatable to me because I've pretty much been in situations like that where I'm, like, washing my hands and trying to get fucking paper towels that are across the room and pulling it with my foot. <laughs> definitely relate to that. Well, so you need to have what I have, like, the paper towel rolls above your sink. That's true. I did like how the film sometimes made Adam Driver sort of, like, uh, goofy. Like where he, he pulls up too far away from the uh, ticket booth, so he can't get the ticket when he's going that into the parking garage. That happens to me all the freaking time because I can never like judge. So I'm like, like, be like at the car wash and be like, I can't. <laughs> he has to open the door open to the get door the like, to know. get the ticket. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So on a scale of um, one to ten uh, BLTs, what would you give Marriage Story? I'll give it an eight and a half. It's probably the best film I saw. From 2019, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head that's better. Mm-hmm. Um, really good, really impactful. I think, you know, Noel Baumbach, director I like. He's, you know, very much in the kind of style and vein of Wes Anderson, who's, you know, one of my favorite directors of all time. So definitely I've always appreciated his style. I think Adam, you know, and Adam Driver and ScarJo are great. Adam Driver terrific performance uh, i do really appreciate how it's kind of very much like a play and it plays out like a play it's very isolated small you know everything's very muted like even the colors like even mm-hmm. though like people are wearing bright vibrant things like the the overall co- like like uh co- like balance of the colors like mm-hmm. toned down kind of like when we were watching the remake of suspiria how it had that kind of faded you know, look to it, even though it had these like bright colors in it, they were, you know, very much like faded away. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you see, like the like the settings that they're in, like it's always very sparse and you know, not like overly decorated. Like his apartment and like their apartment at home too. It's all you know, very muted. Mm-hmm. Um, just very interesting. I thought, I think, really well thought out, well you know, thoughtful take on a divorce. Yeah. You know, and very interesting and very engaging. I, for the two hours and 20 minutes or 2.15, however long it was, was engaged through it the entire time. Mm. Definitely would say this would be a film worthy of being nominated for Best Picture. I'd probably give it a, I'd give it a 9 out of 10. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good movie, a really good look at divorce and separation and um, how it escalates, how relationships change over time, um, trying to get to the realism of understanding how people in that relationship maybe don't understand how their relationship changed over time and how they changed. And so that change sort of happened gradually, like 
like how people grow up and you don't really notice it if you're with them all the time. You don't see it until you have that, you know, perspective away from it to understand what went wrong. Um, I do like how it brings up those very difficult questions sometimes of when you're in a relationship or when you're in a fight and you're trying to fight about something and neither of you are really coming to an understanding of what the other is saying. Um, and so that escalates further and further until you get to a point where you really can't uh, come to a, an agreement. Um, it uh, It's a really – you know, it, it tries to put uh, a script to those those really difficult life decisions uh, that are made and, and – um, I think it does a really good job of making it as realistic as possible, putting the audience in that role as judge and arbitrator um, where uh, – and also making sure that there's a point where no one person really feels like they're right or wrong in this scenario. Um, you can't really come to a, a perfect conclusion about what happened or you know who did what and why it was wrong. Um, and that's really what the story needs is it, 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 just an equal perspective on both of it. Um, so overall, really, really good, engaging movie, tense, suspenseful sometimes, and anxiety-inducing, um, sad, happy, emotional, and uh, overall just a fun movie to watch. Well, maybe not – I don't know if I want to say fun, <laughs> but a nice thought-provoking experience all the same uh, with a nice – with with uh, again, with Noah Baumbach's um, – Good style and uh, interesting choices uh, artistically, like the 166 to 1 aspect ratio that I was talking about. Um, you know, just looking at those things and taking a look at how the framing and things like that just uh, continue to accentuate the themes of the movie. Really good job all around. Glad I watched it. Yeah. All right. So we have come to that time of the show where we deliberate on what we want to watch next time. Parasite. Parasite? Bong Joon-ho. Um, I would be down for that if I can get it. Um, if I can get a copy of it, I will. Cer- I would certainly want to watch it. Um, really, it looks really interesting. Um, we're just going to go through the list of Academy-nominated films. No, it's a film I've been meaning to watch. You want to watch that one yeah. too? So we've got like Parasite. We got Joker to watch. We got obviously the in in the infallible Black Christmas remake to watch. Um, yeah, that's fine. If, if we can, if I can get Parasite, we'll do Parasite. If I can't get Parasite, what would you want to do instead? Because there is a possibility that we're certainly not going to be able to see it in theaters. I might have to find it some other way, <laughs> and it might just be like a f- home video cam. So oh, then no, that's that really right. So if we can't get that, what else would you be interested in instead to do? I don't know. I was just, I was just throwing it out there. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, notice, I didn't even know it was still in tears, to be honest with you. Yeah, Parasite, I think, is a good choice. Um, we'll just have to see if we can find it in some way. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, another movie that we had talked about, that we had discussed uh, doing. Oh, you know what? Child's Play, the remake. Mm. We had discussed doing, and I actually have it, so that could be another option yeah, if there we, we can't get Parasite. A little late. Right. Little late but we had discussed doing it at some point and let's say a little late to the Aubrey Plaza party. Yeah. So uh possibly Parasite in two weeks, um, or maybe Child's play the remake. So or maybe Black Christmas or maybe the Joker. Could be. <laughs> Whatever we decide to do. Whatever. We just take we just take a bunch of films and put them on a dartboard and we yeah. lob darts at them and like, well, yeah. what are we gonna do today? Uh yeah, so that'll be back in two weeks. And then 
see you in two weeks and be in February. We'll be coming up to Valentine's Day. So we might do, we could do Valentine, the slasher. So we, never, we didn't do that one yet. So we could do that one. Um, and then pretty soon we're, we're going to be doing. I, this podcast has been so bogged down by slasher themed holiday films in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> well, you know what? We're, we're, we're almost to we, the end of the slasher-themed ones. So. We might have to go back to like a weekly schedule because it's just like, oh, let's see. Oh, fuck. Another holiday. Another another holiday slasher to do. Oh, fuck. Another Marvel film. Let's uh, go on and see that. Oh, fuck. A DC film. Oh, fuck. Another Marvel. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And before you know it's Christmas, and we're like, oh, shit, Christmas time. Yep. All right, so um, we will be back in two weeks with uh, another episode. Thank you for listening. We are on any podcasting app that you can think of, like Stitcher, Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, we're on Spotify as well. It's uh, really easy to get your get the episodes on there. Um, so subscribe and uh, leave us a nice review. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash blood and black rum podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter at blood and black rum. We have a... Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast if you want to donate to us. Uh, and you can always write to us at, on, at our email address at podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you like or don't like about the show, what you want to see us cover in uh, subsequent episodes. Uh, thank you for listening. We will see you back in two weeks. Uh, and other than that, please don't get divorced. <laughs> Take care.